since it's Thanksgiving, what you're going to notice is that there's going to be an increase in social media uh, activity today. More and more uh, pictures, and you may have seen it, you'll, you'll see it this afternoon for sure. People are going to post pictures of uh, their family or their kids or their, uh, their animals or maybe a plate of food, and they're going to have it accompanied with messages that say, thankful, grateful, blessed. Now, I, I like seeing these pictures. It's kind of interesting because it's like, oh, look, the family is, is getting bigger. The kids are getting older. Uh, I didn't know they got a dog. That's cool. Uh, maybe you see some food and you're like, we'll have to get that recipe. That looks good. So no issue with it, but it's, it's always kind of interesting to me. Oh, the reason I find it interesting is that many of these people who are, are posting these things at Thanksgiving, often they live like a practical atheist, or an agnostic. And, and if you're going, okay, what does that mean? Here's what it basically means, is, is by their life, by the things they do, by the things they say, essentially, they're, they're kind of saying, I choose to not really acknowledge God's existence. I don't know if we can know that God exists, or just kind of saying, God does not exist. But then Thanksgiving rolls around. It's like, ah, so thankful for this crew, uh, blessed by, by, by my dog. It's just like, I'm grateful for all these things. Now, it's, it's just kind of incongruent. It's, it's a little inconsistent because to live like there is no God or, or any, any divine being who gives all this by celebrating Thanksgiving, aren't you saying there's somebody we should give thanks to? that all these things have come from. If you go, I've been so blessed, aren't you kind of saying somebody has blessed me? Now, Greg Easterbrook, he's the author of a book called Progress Paradox, and he said that North Americans in general seem to take their blessings for granted, even though their lives are just kind of progressively getting better in regards to food and shelter and comfort. And he notes that many people today avoid expressing gratitude because they're obsessed with pretending that they are self-reliant. Easterbrook believes that with society teaching us, you know what, you're self-made, you are independent. People are like, yeah, I am. And so they don't express gratitude as much. They kind of reject this idea that they would be indebted to other people for things. Now, uh, famous atheist Richard Dawkins, you may have heard of him. He's like, I can get on board with that. I like this idea of not expressing gratitude because he says that within each person, there's something known as the selfish gene. And the selfish gene, it kind of comes down to this. It argues that all biological and human behavior can be reduced to self-interest of trying to survive or reproduce, kind of pass along your genes. So don't give thanks to anything or anyone because nobody ever gave you anything or did anything good for you without selfish strings attached. So essentially he's saying this, you don't Oh, thanks to anybody, because any good thing somebody gave you, any good thing somebody did towards you, it was, it was selfish. They weren't doing it for you. It was, it was entirely for them. So it's kind of like this. Your, your kids come to you on, on Mother's Day, Father's Day, and go, listen, I don't owe you any gratitude or any thanks. All those late nights, all that money you put out, all those sacrifices you made for me, turns out, you were only doing that for yourself. You were just trying to impress your friends. It wasn't for me. That's, that's kind of what Richard Dawkins is, is saying. 
It's like, they didn't do it for your well-being. It was all for them. Now, psychologists and sociologists, they would recommend against the idea of not showing gratitude. They've discovered that people who regularly feel and express gratitude and thanks tend to be healthier, less depressed, more optimistic, less anxious, more creative, more productive. So science is going, you know what? Gratitude is good for you. It has actual health benefits. They can prove it. Now, how do you approach this idea of gratitude or thanksgiving if you're like, God doesn't exist? Or you, you don't recognize the divine? How, how do you do this? But you're like, man, the health benefits of gratitude. So I, I should express it. Well, some atheists argue this, that there's an alternative to thanking God or a divine intelligence. Instead, they say people should acknowledge their dependence upon the cosmos, the sun, nature, past generations of people, and human society. Just acknowledging that, that those things have been there to help you get to the point where you're at. Now, I, I agree. It's like, man, we depend on nature. We really do. We should acknowledge that. And there's been people who've kind of paved the way for you to be where you're at. But at a certain point, don't you kind of go like, man, these things are amazing. Like if you look at the cosmos, you look at creation and go, man, things are just exactly the way they need to be if it was off the slightest, the slightest, like even like half a percentage point, life would not be sustainable. You, you look at all these things and you go, man, where did all these things come from? And that's where they're like, we don't really have good answers. Like, just stop asking questions. Look, the sun. Isn't it beautiful? Just give thanks to the sun. And so those who deny God's existence are essentially kind of saying, you know what, it's all been a fortunate fluke. Or I've been lucky to this point. Or I've been stronger than others. And that's how I've survived and have what I have. So like, if, if you don't acknowledge God or you don't believe in the divine, here's kind of what you're left with. There's nobody to give thanks to. You don't have a reason for it. Maybe you should kind of go like, let's celebrate this. I've been lucky to this point day. Hashtag the odds have been in my favor. Or maybe you just kind of go like, I've been strong enough to survive to this point day. Let's celebrate that. Because here's, here's where I'm going. If all the good things in your life come down to luck, that you were, you were just lucky, it was a fortunate fluke, or that you were stronger than others and that's why you have what you have, doesn't that make you nervous? Like, I'd, I'm, I'd be nervous. Like, what if my luck runs out? What if somebody or something stronger comes along and is just like, I want what you have, and just like pushes you out of the way? How are you going to stop them? Who are you going to appeal to? Is there, is there any hope in that? Now, Scripture, it tells us to direct our thanks to God. And again, we're in Psalm 136. And 12 times in this psalm, God's people are instructed to give thanks to God. And so we're going to jump in, starting in verse 1. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his faithful love endures forever. Now, most scholars believe that Psalm 136 was written for use in the newly rebuilt Jewish temple after the nation of Israel returned from exile in Babylon. 
And so it's about 400 years after King David was on the scene, and this psalm calls the congregation to give thanks to God. And so what you would have in the temple is there's a, a Levite priest. He's acting as a worship leader. He reads the first part of each verse where it's like, here's something God has done for us, or who, here is who God is. And the congregation responds with this chorus, his faithful love endures forever. And so what it looks like is this. The, the, the priest is going, here's something God has done for us. Here's, here's who God is and why he has he done it. Because he loves us. Or to put it another way, the reason that we possess or have experienced all these good things that we have is because God is a loving God. Now, the, the Hebrew word for love here is important. It's this word has said, which is kind of this. It's, it's this. It can be translated as covenantal love, faithful love, or steadfast love. And so what it's saying is God's love, it's not temporary, it's not conditional, it's forever. It's not gonna run out, it's not gonna grow weak. You don't have to worry about those things. And this is the reason for the command to thank God. And so the psalmist is like, you wanna know why we give thanks to God? Well, I'm going to tell you. And so that's where we pick up in verse four. The psalmist says, give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights. His faithful love endures forever. The sun to rule the day. His faithful love endures forever. And the moon and stars to rule the night. His faithful love endures forever. Now, for much of history, um, it was assumed that the universe had no beginning. It, it was assumed that the universe was eternal. And so people would look at creation and go, where did all of this come from? And, and people would say, it didn't come from anywhere. It's just always existed, that, that it was eternal. Thus, if the universe has always existed, you have no need for the divine. You have no need for God or the gods. And so the idea of a, of a creator kind of just seemed ludicrous to many people. And nobody could disprove this theory that the universe didn't have a beginning until in 1929, a guy named Edwin Hubble shows up on the scene. And Hubble is looking up into the sky at night through his telescope and, and he observes something amazing. What he observes is that the galaxies were, were moving away from one another at a rapid pace and that the universe was far larger than anybody had ever believed it to be. And as, as the galaxies are moving further and further away from one another, it's not like they're moving into space that has already existed. It's not like the, the universe is, is there and it's like the galaxies are just moving into something that already exists. What he notices is that space itself is expanding alongside. And further research showed that the galaxies were moving apart as if they were flung apart by some sort of massive explosion. And Hubble, he continues to do his research and he finds that all galaxies, all stars, planets, energy, and matter, they all have a common point of origin. They all begin in the same spot at the same time. And, and Hubble, he discovers that the universe kind of came into existence with a single cosmic explosion, which has become dubbed the Big Bang. Now, I know we're, we're in church, and sometimes as, as Christians, we're like, ooh, Big Bang, stay away. Um, we don't touch that. But if you go with me, there's actually something interesting here. 
According to the Big Bang Theory, not the show, but the actual scientific theory, all space, all matter, all energy, and even time itself began to exist at a single point in the past. Now, the Big Bang explanation of the origins of the universe, that's actually accepted in almost every uh, major field of science today. It's like, yeah, that's how it, it kind of everything came into existence with something like this. But at first, when Edwin Hubble proposes this, the scientific community rejects it for the most part, not because there isn't evidence, but because it gave credence to this idea that there was a supernatural creator. There was that, that creation began to exist. In other words, Hubble, Hubble's discoveries, it agreed with the Judeo-Christian idea of the beginning of the world, that there was a creator. Now we would go, okay, science was catching up to what the Bible said. Now what led to the Big Bang? That would be the, the, the biggest question people would have. Like if it all matter came into existence with the Big Bang or this cosmic explosion that Hubble says, then it had to be, there had to be something immaterial that transcends the universe. So, so when we say like matter, we're talking about what's physical, what you can touch, feel, uh, taste, smell, all of that. And what, what he's saying is that there had to be some sort of mind that came before the matter. There had to be something supernatural there before the creation. Now the Bible records the event of the universe's beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And if you grew up in the church, you probably know this verse, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I'm, I'm going somewhere with all this. Like, I'm hoping you're tracking with me because I'm leading to something. Trust me. Here in the theory, you find that all space, matter, energy, and time itself began to exist at a single point in the past. And Genesis 1-1 comes along, and it doesn't disagree with that. It actually backs it up. Like, Genesis chapter 1, 1, in the beginning, there is time. Time begins to exist. God created the heavens. There is space and the earth. There is matter. Time, space, and matter. First verse of the Bible. And who did it? It's saying God created all of that. Now, former atheist Francis Collins, he's also an award-winning scientist, he said, the Big Bang cries out for a divine explanation. It forces the conclusion that nature had a defined beginning. I cannot see how nature could have created itself, only a supernatural force that is outside of space and time could have done this. Now, I mean, this is where somebody who's skeptical will say, and I mean, I have these conversations with my son at times. They'll go, okay, but who created God? If God created the universe, who created God? But there's no evidence that God has a beginning. The scripture would say God is alpha and omega. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's always existed. But what we do have evidence for is that the universe began to exist. And so we have to ask this question, who did it? Now you're going, okay, that was, why is there a science lesson in the middle of this sermon? Because we're living at a time where people will tell you, like, you don't need God. Or we can explain everything without God, but there's actually no real solid theories that, that exclude God. 
that, that you get back to this point that there has to be a creator. Now, here's my point. If God created everything and the evidence points to the fact that he did, then everything that we have around us belongs to God. That the claims of scripture, they're not exaggerated. Psalm 24 verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. And so think about it this way. Everything that you love, everything that you enjoy, everything that you find pleasure in, God created those things. The, the, the food and sleep and relationships and nature and your hobbies, God created all of those things. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens now, my first point is this. I know you're like, man, it took you that long to get to point one. This is going to be a long sermon. I'm, I'm going to move quicker. Don't worry. But point one, we know God loves us because God created everything we enjoy. Like there's that old joke, you may have heard of it, where some scientists come to God and they're like, God, we no longer need you. Humanity, we've progressed to this point where we can do everything we need without you. So like you, you can just go away, do your own thing. And God's like, all right. But before I do, let's have competition. Just let's see if you actually need me or not. Let's create human beings. And science is like, yeah, we've done that before. We can do it. Um, and God's like, let's do it the old-fashioned way, like the first time. Let's use some dirt. And science is like, yeah, we can do that. And so scientist bends down to pick up some dirt, and God's like, no, you need to get your own dirt for this competition. Now, my point is this, that none of us are nearly as self-sufficient as we may believe. Carl Sagan, he, he points this out really well. In this quote, he says, to really make an apple pie from scratch, you must begin by inventing the universe. Like, think of it this way. There's nothing you've ever had. There's nothing that you've ever needed where you're like, you just created out of nothing. Like, you don't, you don't just go like, man, we're out of laundry detergent. And you just go, laundry detergent, and it, like, it pops into existence. Like, you, you, you can't do that. You want to make that apple pie, you need apples. And like, you can go out into nature and pick them, and you're going to need things like flour. Most of us don't have the skill to go in nature and make our own flour, so we have to go to the grocery store and buy most of the things that we need. Like, we rely on others and what has been created far more than we realize. But God, he has the ability to speak and what has never existed will come into existence. God generously shares all of that with us. Like 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, says God richly provides us with all things to enjoy. And so God has given us his creation to work, to manage, enjoy, because he loves us. All right, let's keep going. Psalm 136, verse 10. Give thanks to him who killed the firstborn of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He brought Israel out of Egypt. His faithful love endures forever. He acted with a strong hand and powerful arm. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. He led Israel safely through. His faithful love endures forever. But he hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who led his people through the wilderness. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to him who struck down mighty kings. His faithful love endures forever. 
He killed powerful kings. His faithful love endures forever. Sahan, king of the Amorites, his faithful love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his faithful love endures forever. God gave the land of these kings as an inheritance. His faithful love endures forever. A special possession to his servant Israel. His faithful love endures forever. He remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. He saved us from our enemies. His faithful love endures forever. Now I know what you're thinking. You're going, man, that is a great Thanksgiving Day text. Like, you just nailed it. So cheerful and optimistic and full of hope. You, you really picked a solid one here, James. Like, I know we read that. I was like, wow, that's dark. Like, kings being killed and nations being destroyed. And when we read this, I, I know that for some of us, we're going, man, that's full of nationalistic pride, maybe political propaganda. And Israel's kind of going like, man, we're awesome. We're better than all the nations. Look, look, God's on our side. But to read it that way is actually missing the theological confession that this psalm is making. What it's saying, like Psalm 136 isn't going like, Israel's the best. Israel's super strong. Look how awesome we are. What it's saying is, look at God. Look at the things that God is able to do. And this is the second point. We know that God loves us because he delivers us from our enemies. Like in in Psalm 136, it's used by Jewish people as they celebrate the Passover. And during the Passover meal, they share with family and friends. They they talk about how God heard Israel's cries when they were in slavery and and he delivered them. He brought them out of slavery into the promised land. He, He heard their cries for deliverance and he answered them. Now, by reminding, or remembering God's provision of salvation, the Israelites are reminding themselves, man, God is good. God loves us. Now, verse 1 of Psalm 136, it starts with this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Like, sometimes I just stop and think. We, we take things for granted. But I, I'm amazed at the fact that God is good. Like, there's no rule that tells us that God has to be good. He's he's a creator. He could do whatever he wants. Like, I was canceling at Canoe Cove Christian Camp on PEI years ago, and there was this kid sitting alone on the basketball court, and he's just sitting there, and he's going like this on the ground over and over and over again. And so I walked up to him. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm killing ants. I'm like, why? And then he's like, because I can. And I was like, okay, I'm glad you're not sleeping in my cabin. That's a little dark. It'll be interesting to see how your life kind of tracks in the future. But he was killing them simply because he was bigger. He was more powerful, that the ants could, could do nothing to stop him. Now, God is not like that. You, you know how when it rains, the worms, they come up onto the pavement and they're all over the sidewalks. They're like, we got to get out of the ground or we're going to drown. And they're, they're all over the place. But then the sun comes out and it begins to, the water evaporates. And, and you see the worms that are like, oh man, we didn't think this through. We're too far away from the grass. We're not going to make it. And they're starting to dry up. Now, my daughter Jane and I sometimes like, we've been inside. It's raining. Let's go out. Let's go for a walk. And she'll see these worms on the pavement and on the sidewalk. And she starts picking, like stops and picks up every one of them and starts putting them in the grass. And she's like, daddy, we have to save them. And she picks one up. like, it's so cute. And I'm like, you're afraid of a, a house fly. And you'll pick up the worms. Those things are are gross. Now, Jane is good 
to the worms. And here's my point. You are a worm. Now, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> my point is this. God is good to us in a similar way. Like God would be well within his rights to see us in our predicament, the predicament we put ourselves in, and just kind of walk past and leave us and go, man, you, you got yourself into it. Good luck. You're going to die. He could do that. And we could not object to it. God could abuse, he could be squishing us like the ants and we could do nothing to stop him and there would be no higher power to appeal to. But God is not like that. God is good and he loves us and he saves us and go back to Genesis. God creates Adam and Eve and he goes enjoy creation. But there's one thing I don't want you to do. Please do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do, you will surely die. Adam and Eve are like, got it. But we know how this works out. Satan shows up and he gets Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness, to doubt that God is giving them what, what is best, that God is holding out on them. And so they eat from the tree or the fruit of the tree. And what God says happens. Their eyes are opened. They've sinned. And in with sin comes death, physical and spiritual death. Yes, we physically die, but it goes beyond that, 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 that you play this out and it lands us in hell. And God could be like, you did it. I, I told you not to. And it's not just Adam and Eve. God, God tells us, don't do this. It will kill you. Like literally not good for you. And we're like, I know better, God. And we're like, oh, this did not work out. <laughs> what happened? But God doesn't leave us there. God comes in and he rescues us. God could have left humanity in sin and destined for death, but he is good and he sent his son, Jesus Christ. His son lived the life we could not live. He died the death we deserved. He went into the tomb. But three days later, by the power of God, God raised him from the dead, and he gives us life through his son. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, it says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin, it's power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mark Clark, he writes, Christianity proclaims a God who is not distant or removed from human suffering. In every other religion, God or the gods remain aloof and distant, but the Christian God experienced human existence, identified and empathized with us and suffered with us and for us. And so what the New Testament is going, Jesus is our Passover lamb. It's, it's his blood that covers us. It's his blood that brings forgiveness. He delivers us from our greatest enemy, sin and death. And we don't just reserve this Thanksgiving for Easter when it rolls around. Thank God that Jesus died, but he rose again. This is something we give thanks for every day. We know God loves us because he saved us and he's bringing us into this kingdom that there's this new covenant that we will be with him forever. All right, the last two verses of Psalm 136. He gives food to every living thing. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His faithful love endures forever. And what the psalmist is saying is this. Every day, God's steadfast love is displayed in the way that he meets your needs. He cares and provides for you in the big things and the little things. And so we know that God loves us because he provides for our needs. 
I remember when I was a kid in church, there was something going on, and I was just kind of like hanging out in the background, and there was an older Christian who, who said like, I'm so lucky that the money came into my account at this time because it allowed me to pay this bill and just talking about it. And there was an older, like an old Christian, like an old person, they were kind of crotchety and, and just bitter, um, not what you want to turn into when you become a Christian. Um, but I remember it was, it was just like, Christians don't believe in luck, just like snapped at the person for saying that they were so lucky. And as a kid, I was like, whoa, that was a bit of an overreaction. Like they just stopped there. And those words just kind of stuck with me. I always remembered it. But as harsh as the response was, I, I understood now what he was getting at. So as Christians, we don't, we don't live our lives hoping that the universe will smile upon us or that fortune will favor us or that things will work out. We believe that God is sovereign and that God is able to meet our needs. And Jesus speaks of this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And I love this line. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Aren't you far more valuable to God than the birds? And so when we look at how our needs have been met, how we've been blessed by God and all the things that we have in our lives, Jesus would say to us, do not think of yourself as being lucky. You are loved your heavenly father loves you. You are not lucky. You are loved. And so what we learn in Psalm 136 is this, that we can live towards the future with faith, that we don't have to hope that we'll be lucky. We don't have to worry that our strength will, will run out or that we'll be strong enough. Saying the creator loves you. The one who formed the universe, he's on your side and he's been faithful in the past, he's faithful in the present, and so you can be sure that you can trust him with your future. And that is a reason to give thanks. And that is a reason to trust your life to him, that he cares for you, he loves you. And this is why we trust our future to him. If, you've, if you're a Christian, you've trusted your future to him because he's so good. And if maybe that's something you need to do today is to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and trust your future to him. There's no better person, no better thing that you could ever put your hope in, put your trust in, place your life in. Now, I just want to give a final challenge because it's Thanksgiving. Many of us will leave here and we're going to go to a Thanksgiving meal. Um, you're going to sit around a table with family or maybe you're just like, no, we're going to McDonald's after this. It's kind of what it will be, but you can still do this. I want to encourage you Instead of talking about sports, instead of like going, how about that weather? Or getting into an argument with your uncle about politics. Just take a few moments to actually talk about what you're thankful to God for. Parents, if you have young kids, here's what I would say. Here's a really simple one. Ask your kids, what is your favorite thing that God created? What do you think is just so cool that God created? Maybe you can take some time, if you're, you're older, you just say, here's, here's how God has answered my prayers this past year. Here's what God has delivered me from. Here's how God has been my salvation. Or maybe it's going like, man, I don't know what the future holds exactly. It's kind of unfolding. But here's what I know. 
I can testify that God has been with me through it, that he's providing and that he's good and that he loves me.